0: Hey, I don't know about you, but I am, I'm just pumped to be here. Um, we're back, 2024. Happy New Year. Um, just look at someone and tell them Happy New Year, even though we're like halfway through January. Yep, Happy New Year. That's great. Um, hey, so I was thinking about that song that we were singing just a little bit ago, and um, man, we, we sometimes talk about a faithful God, uh, especially in church. We talk about him all the time. And, uh, and maybe maybe you have some mixed feelings about that thought. Mixed feelings about a faithful God. Maybe you have mixed feelings about God in general. Some of you in the room might have come in here kind of sort of on the edge as to whether or not you even buy into this. Like we can be honest about that. I think some of us maybe have a, a different view of God based on our, uh, maybe our experiences, maybe people in our lives, maybe Maybe a church that we were a part of or are a part of that, that's kind of maybe skewed our view of God. Maybe, maybe we kind of look through like the lens of culture or the lens of the world is to maybe our view of God. But there's a reality that every one of us, when we say the word God, you have a, a picture or a view. And maybe that's not one of faithfulness. Maybe it's one of like a, a heavy hand or something uh, like like a, a, a list of do's and don'ts that you've got to live by, otherwise you're going to be in trouble. Maybe that's what it is. Over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is spend some time in God's word, kind of having a conversation about not just God, but some of the maybe spiritual things that we maybe not talk about a whole lot. We're going to talk about God and His relationship with man. We're going to talk about Satan. Like, who is he? How did he get here? Does he really have, like, red horns or, like, a little, uh, what's that, pitchfork or whatever that thing is? A trident? Like, maybe is that it? We're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about angels and demons. So over this next few weeks, we're going to see what God's word has to say about those things. Because maybe, maybe you've been in a place where you've thought about that, but maybe you haven't had a chance to unpack that. But in order to get through some of those things, we kind of have to take a 30,000-foot view of really the Bible as a whole. So that's what we're going to try and tackle tonight. Okay, so um, I hope you have your Bibles. If you do and you want to flip through, we're going to be flying through some passages. So if you're kind of one of those people who just like maybe you're a table of contents kind of guy where you got to look at the table of contents. Maybe you just know where everything is. If you want to fly through, you can. We'll have some up on the screen as well. But here's, here's the plan for tonight. The plan is that we're going to walk through kind of the entirety of the Bible, a 30,000-foot view, big picture, and we're going to do it in four parts. All right, I'm going to give you these four parts so you kind of have an, an idea of where we're headed. We're going to talk about creation. We're going to talk about the fall. We're going to talk about redemption. And then we're going to talk about glorification. Those are the four parts that we're going to get into tonight. Now, if you're not familiar with church, maybe some of those things don't really make a whole lot of sense to you. Uh, but we'll tackle those together. So every good story has to start somewhere. We have to start at the beginning. And so uh, this good story has to start at the beginning. One of the reasons we take a big picture view is because sometimes maybe we start somewhere in the middle or maybe with something small and it's it's not super helpful in the moment So it's good to have a big picture view. This is like, um, I have kids, I don't know, I don't know what you were like as a kid, but uh, the first time my kid saw uh, an outlet, they thought, what can I stick inside that, right? A fork, that's it, who said that? Have you been talking to my son? Because that's what he did, that was his thing. I was like, dude, you can't do that because you will die, yes, that is the correct answer. But for some reason, something in his brain says, hey, you know what, I see a fork, I see an outlet, if it it's perfectly, may as well just get after it, right? He doesn't understand the bigger picture that we see because we've, anybody ever done that before and lived to tell the tale? All right, congratulations. You guys, we should watch out for you, absolutely. Or, or what my sons do is they, the stove, I don't know what it is about the stove, but like they turn, the circle turns red, and they're like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and just like place my entire hand on that stove. Now, we know that you shouldn't do that. We understand the big picture, but in their mind, they're thinking very narrowly, hey, I just want to touch it. It's red. It's bright. Or my son will be like, dad, I fit perfectly in the oven. You're like, big picture, you should never be in the oven. That's just how it should go, right? And so sometimes in our lives, we take like these small little pieces and we start to try and piece things together, but sometimes it's helpful to kind of take a thousand, thirty thousand 30,000 foot view and kind of understand things as a whole. So... Uh, Tonight, we're going to start in the very beginning of the story of life of God and of the Bible. The Bible is just one giant story that all points to Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that a little bit tonight. But in order to understand this, we go all the way back to the beginning. So God has always existed. And we know, based on God's word, Ephesians 1 actually says that he was thinking about us before the foundation of the world. So before earth was even created, God was already thinking about you and about me. That's awesome, that's encouraging. God was already thinking about and considering us before the foundation of the world. And so here's what he did. He said, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and create the world. If you've been a part of, of church for any length of time, maybe you've colored some pages on the creation story, but he, with his words, created the world. Started with the heaven, the earth, then he went, what's the next one? Sun, moon, stars, yeah, good, right? Then he went kind of waters, land, he went fruit, vegetation, he went animals, and all along the way he was saying, man, this is good. I've made this, and it's good. I made this, and it's good. I created the animals, and it was good, right? But then he's looking at creation, and he says, man, you know what we need? We need somebody to kind of take care of all of this. So what does he create next? a dude who said that, (laughs) a dude, yes, I guess technically yes, he made a dude, right, he created Adam, now, Adam had a unique role, because the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, the Bible says this, let us make man in our image, now this is God talking, so why is he saying us and our? Well, well, God exists, and this is gonna be a little tough to unpack, and so maybe if you have questions about this, we can talk about this right after, but God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So ever since the beginning of time, God has existed in those three distinct persons. So when it says, let us make man in our image, this is God talking as these three distinct persons, and he says, we're gonna make man in our image. Now, this is the first time in the story That man, or that something was made in God's image, which is to say two things. Number one, man has now dominion, kind of upper rank management level over all of creation. And then number two, man is created to be in relationship with God. Those are two very important things. So here's what God did. God set up what we call a covenant with Adam. Okay? Does anybody know what a covenant is? You can kind of guess what this is. It's kind of this oath that two people make together that they have agreed this is what we're going to do. These are sort of the the things that are laid out within this covenant. Some of them you would say are conditional, which is to say if you do this, then this covenant exists. Some of them are unconditional. To where he says no matter what you do, this is going to be the way it is. So God sets up a covenant with Adam and here's the covenant for Adam. He said, you will have dominion over creation. You will have communion with God. But then he puts this conditional statement in there. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's all it was. It was super simple. It just, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, we know the story, right? Here's what happens. We enter in a brand-new character. Satan, in the form of a serpent, comes over to who? Eve. It was close. It's all right. Gold star. Came over to Eve. I was like, Eve, take a look. Take a look. Are you the kind of person that when somebody says don't touch that, you immediately want to touch it? Raise your hand if you're that person. Yeah. Yeah. That's 100% me, right? So, so here's what happened. Eve was like, hey, listen, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go ahead and touch it. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to eat that fruit. It's going to be delicious. So she does. Well, unfortunately, because this covenant was conditional, it now changed the relationship between God and man. We would say that sin entered the world because of the breaking of this covenant. God said, you're going to have dominion over it. We're going to be in a relationship together if, if you don't do this thing. Well, they did it. All of a sudden, sin enters the world. This is how you and I live now, where now we have we we sin because of this thing that happened in the very beginning. So what does God have to do? Well, God's perfect. Man is no longer in a state where that's the case because now there is sin in him. So God in his perfection cannot be in the presence of sin. He casts man and woman out. And what he does is he does sort of what we call a second covenant of Adam. Okay? Here's the second covenant covenant of Adam. Take a look. This is in Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Genesis chapter 3, 15. This is also known as the gospel, all right? If you didn't realize this, the gospel is not just a New Testament thing. The gospel exists in the entirety of Scripture, and that's what we'll see today. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is the second, now, under like this brand new covenant, this new covenant, because Adam already broke the first one. God says this. Now, he's talking to the serpent in this moment. He says, I will put enmity or I will put opposition or create opposition between you, talking to the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So, So God is talking to the serpent, and he's essentially predicting the future. He's saying, hey, from this woman, there is going to be an offspring that is going to crush your head, and you're going to bruise his heel. Who's he referring to? Come on, Sunday school. Jesus, thank you. I know you said it, but you already answered before. So he's he's pointing to Jesus. This new covenant is now the gospel where there is going to be somebody that's going to come from a woman in order to crush the serpent's head. So then, this was the fall. So we see creation. That was the first piece of it. God created the earth, created man, great covenant. Everything was going great. The fall was man living into sin and then snapping that relationship between him and God. And then now, God has set up this new covenant that is actually a means of the word we call redemption. Redemption. This is to say that even though you have done something wrong, God is initiating a plan for us to be in communion with him, which is what he wanted from the the beginning. This is what he wanted. This This is crazy. So now we're moving into redemption, all right? There are a handful of new covenants that are made along the way. So Adam, Eve, they kind of go about their way. The earth is starting to continue to populate. But then something happens where God starts to look down and all of a sudden everybody on the earth is terrible. You ever been in a room or in an environment where everybody is just like the worst, right? So I'm a, I'm a Cowboys fan. I don't know if anybody knows or even cares about that. So all of my friends a couple days ago immediately became the worst people in the world. I got so many memes and videos and hate because the Cowboys lost. Like that was a moment. It was, it was pretty much the same thing. First of all, uh, don't heckle me. Security, that kid right there. All right, so, so what happens is God looks at the earth. He says, listen, this is not going well. This is not my plan. I don't want this to happen. We're going to have to go ahead and just wipe this all out. But he looks down, and he sees one man who was righteous. Does anybody know who that is? Noah. 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 I know some of you were you just threw out a confident answer, and I respect you for trying. But it was Noah. <laughs> I need to come over here. I'm distracted. So here's what happens: the whole world got to wipe it out. God sends a flood. He looks at Noah, who's who's a faithful brother. He's seen as righteous. So God says, "Here, here, Noah. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to build an ark." You're gonna bring your family on there. You're gonna bring some animals on it, and I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna spare you, and then wipe out the rest of the earth. So that's what he does. Flood waters subside. you have probably heard this story before. After the flood waters subside, Noah comes out, and God establishes a covenant with Noah. Here's what the covenant is. This is Genesis chapter nine, verse eleven. He said, "I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood." And never again shall there be a flood to destroy earth. So he sets up a covenant to say, listen, never again will I wipe out everybody for their wickedness. Never again will I do that. And then he he gives us a symbol to be reminded of this covenant. Does anybody know what that is? A rainbow. God uses that as a symbol to be reminded of the promise that he would never wipe out the earth in that way again. Again. So we kind of move along, okay, that's awesome. Noah, his wife, his kids, we're doing great. The earth is being populated yet again and everything's great, right? Well, no, we again find that the people that are in the earth continue to rebel. All right, so all of us rebels in the room, we're, we're tracking with this right now. So there's moments where there's a guy named Abraham that, Jesus, that God comes in and says, hey, Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you because the people are continuing to rebel. And so he does that. And then there's a guy named Moses who somebody said over here very confidently crushed it. Uh, Moses, they, they, God establishes the law with Moses, and then we keep on moving. But even though God establishes the law, is everybody now righteous? No, they keep on going in the same pattern over and over again. Here's, here's what I want you to see in this story. Over and over again, God is making a way and a means for redemption, to draw people back to himself. And over and over again, the people rebel and push away. It continues. So So Israel starts to become a nation start to establish themselves a little bit. Then there's other nations around there, and so he's, uh, Israel starts to kind of grumble and complain. They say, hey, to be honest with you, all these nations, they have kings, so we need a king. You ever done that? You ever wanted something because other people had it? Yeah, that's pretty much our entire lives, right? Everybody had a king, so I want a king. And God's like, man, I'm, I'm your king. And Israel's like, yeah, but like like a real king. Like they completely rebelled against the faithfulness and the provision of God and wanted their own earthly king. So that's what happened. They got their king, a guy named Stahl, tall guy, good looking, good in battle. Like he's just like, he's just a really good like fighter, really well respected. Well, he turned out to be a terrible person. He did he just turned out to be a terrible person because they wanted something that they didn't need, and that's kind of what they deserve. So God appointed another man to be king, and his name is David. It's all right. It's all right. We just talked about Saul. That's fine. You're good. David. <laughs> David, shepherd boy, kind of not that big. David was not that big of a deal, and yet still God used him. To move this story forward, to redeem his people. David didn't always do the right thing, but we continue on, and David led Israel well. And so God set up a covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7. Here's what the Bible says. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So here's what he's saying. David, because of what you have done, because you've led well in your faithfulness and in the righteousness that you have shown, your kingdom, your throne will be established forever. Your offspring is going to establish a throne forever. Now, that's a high honor. So David's excited about that. And then continuing to lead Israel in that. We see continuously that Israel yet again continues to rebel. Do you see this interesting dynamic where even in Israel's rebellion, God still makes way to pursue Israel's heart to restore them back to himself? Do you understand that? Do you see that's, that's really the pattern that I think is the most important thing to understand. That, that all along the biblical story, there is this excitement from God to continue to engage in a sinful people's hearts to establish them and restore them back to himself. God doesn't need us. So, the fact that He would continue to do this is a miracle in and of itself. So, the last covenant He sets up in the, in the Old Testament, He says, listen, this is in Jeremiah chapter 31. He says, I'm going to establish a new covenant. This is going to be unlike any other covenant. This is going to be something that's actually going to be everlasting. It's going to be unconditional. I'm going to continue it over and over again. Here's what's going to happen. The Bible says this. This is Jeremiah 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God says, you know what I'm going to do? The law that I gave to Moses on Mount Sinai ten commandments the law what i'm going to do is establish those things within each and every one of us inside of us now it's it's no longer a hey now you need to do a bunch of stuff now it's it's god has now almost spoon-fed the law into our hearts to help us be restored to him this is crazy The moment you start to think that we have so many things to do or we can be good enough to to get into heaven or to be restored to God, you have to understand the entire story of the Bible is God pursuing our hearts and us continuing to rebel. So continuing on in the Old Testament, they kind of get to a place where they, in their rebellion, there's a moment called the intertestamental period. This is what we call in between the New Testament and the Old Testament. There's these 400 years where God did not speak. That's got to be intense. And all of these covenants are pointing forward to something that they actually never realized, the Israelites. They never realized what that fulfillment was. Could you imagine? Is anybody in here just massively impatient? Anybody? Okay. Okay like there are scenarios that we live in each and every day that we just cannot stand because of how impatient you are there are there are a couple things that that I cannot stand uh, with a passion one of those things is skiing has anyone ever been skiing before has you ever been skiing have you have never seen snow can we just man it's one day one day you'll get it it's all right, one day, right? A couple years ago, I, uh, I took a group um, from my previous church. We went, we went to a, a mountain in North Carolina called Sugar Mountain. I was going to go skiing. It was the first time I'd ever skied. I've seen snow a couple times. But um, I'm a large man. Okay, I don't know if you know that about me just by looking at me, but I'm, I'm huge. So my thought was skiing is probably not a good idea. But everybody want to do it. It's fine. Peer pressure. It's great. So me and a buddy. He was he was an older guy. He was like fifty, maybe not older. Experienced uh, for those of us in the room. And um and he was he was like, man, I'm terrible at skiing. Don't worry, you can kind of hang with me. And I was like, great. Like if he can do it, then I can do it. Obviously, I'm an elite athlete. He's kind of an older guy. So anything he can do, I can probably figure out. So. So we start to get our gear on and whatever, and we're moving towards the, the ski lift, and you kind of look down, and there's, like, the bunny slope where, like, all the little kids, and, like, there's, like, all the instructors that are like, this is how you do it. And I looked at him, and I was like, you think we should go down there? And he was like, man, nah, man. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's stupid. man, it's kids, like, whatever. So we keep on going. We get on the ski lift, which that was scary because I'm huge, so I thought there was a weight limit. There might have been, but it doesn't matter. So we get on there. We go up, and we're looking down at this mountain. And it's the green one, the green one. I don't know what the green one is, but it's the easiest one. And I'm like, dude, this is big. Like, this is kind of, like, we get to the top, and you just have to kind of do a little roundabout on your skis to get to the top of the mountain. It took me 30 minutes just to move to the top of the mountain skiing is the worst thing ever. And on the way up, my my buddy, he was telling me, he was like, all right, here's what you got to know about skiing. A couple things, three things in particular. One, you have to kind of like sit back on your heels. All right. If you're a skier and this is wrong, then tell me because he really messed me up. You have to sit back on your heels. Well, if anybody who's playing sports, anybody who plays sports in the room knows you're never allowed to be on your heels. That's, That's never a thing. So my body has never done that before. So like, Okay, fine, we can figure that out. Then he says, if you want to go slow, you want to kind of go this way, like in and out, kind of side to side as you're skiing. I'm like, all right. And then he goes, the third one, and this is the most important one. If ever you're picking up too much speed, just make your skis like a pizza. Just make your skis like a pizza in the front. So I'm like, all right, whatever. Well, once I finally get to the top of the mountain, my buddy, he was, he was trying to kind of help coach me. You ever try to coach someone who just will never get it? right, or maybe you're that person, he was trying to coach me, and God bless him, he was, he was trying his best, but I kept falling, and it is so frustrating to get up over, and over, and over again, so then we kind of get up, and I just start moving, and he's like, bro, do the pizza, do the pizza, and I'm like, dude, my, my skis don't do that, fall, do the pizza, fall, do the and eventually, I'm like, dude, just go down, just, just do it, just have fun, so he's like, all right, fine, he was actually amazing at skiing and I got really mad at him for that then I'm with I'm with a bunch of college students so then they're coming around and they're kind of like hey, hey man you're all right I'm like, <laughs> like you just want to punch someone you know you ever get so frustrated and so they're like hey can I show you some things like I've been skiing me and my family we got a mountain house and blah, blah. like nobody cares can I show you some things sure i like, listen, all you got to do, you got to stand up, up and at them. I felt like a child. So I'm standing up, and they're like, man, you just got to go down. And don't forget, man, as soon as you start, just do the pizza. Just do the pizza. It's fine. And I'm like, I don't know what it was. It was just not working. So then they're like, ah, you'll get it. Don't worry. And then they're like, ksh, ksh, like sliding down like they're professionals, and I hate them too. So then like four or five more people over and over again are coming around me, and they're like, Hey, you doing all right? Like, I, I'm, I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. I hate every second of this. And I just got to the point where I was just like, I'm, I'm done. I don't know what's going to happen. I think the helicopter's going to have to come get me or something. I don't know how ski things work. So like, this is, this is not going to be great. And then there's people on the ski lift that are like students. That they're like, Hey, you doing all right? (laughs) Like, do the pizza. I'm like, Yeah, that's great. Like, whatever. Here's what I learned. I learned that if you go straight down and you make your body as small, it's not small, but as small as possible, you'll go really, really fast. That's what they were trying to prevent with the pizza thing. I just wanted to get down. So what I started doing was I would go, I put them together, and I'd start going down, and I was just booking it. I had to have been going like 90 miles an hour, something. And I was booking. I was essentially a hazard. I could have murdered somebody. Like if this hit anybody, they would instantly be obliterated. So I'm trying to process, the moment I feel in danger to myself or to others, I would just kind of like bail and then like roll down and then like have to recover, catch my breath, and then we'll figure it out. One time I bailed, and I saw, I was kind of like in the middle of the slope, and I looked over the kind of on the edge, and there was this guy that literally was just like, just <laughs> like this. And I was like, bro, are you all right? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, do you suck at skiing too? He's like, yeah. and I was like, do the pizza, man. Do the pizza. And he didn't appreciate that. So I kept going down, and there was, there was only one time when I almost killed a little girl. I didn't. I said Almost. But, man, I saw it because I was looking down, I was so determined <laughs> I look up for a second, and there 's just like like all pink too, and she was just like like on her skis with her little sticks, and I literally was like, for a second, I was like that 's it, my career 's over i 'm going to jail because I killed someone, and then I bailed, and thank god i didn 't kill her, but finally, I get to the bottom, finally, I get to the bottom, and all. Like 60 of my college student friends are like, (laughs) and they made a big scene, and I left them there. I didn't even take them back with me. I kept them uh, off the bus, and it was fantastic, but I hated skiing. I'll never go back, and you shouldn't either. I think we should all ban skiing together. Um, If you have a ski house in North Carolina or whatever because you've got that, then I don't like you, Um, but here's... Here's what I learned in my own life. Man, the instructions were the same from literally everybody. This is the same thing. Sit back on your heels. You want to make sure that you're going side to side and then do the pizza. I haven't eaten pizza since then. That's not true. But, like, it just... The instructions were the exact same, but for some reason, over and over again, I abandoned the instructions, probably didn't give it any effort, and continued to do things my way until I got to the bottom. And all I felt was miserable, exhausted, defeated, and like, I'm never doing that again. It was terrible. And we see all throughout human history, this is the same thing. God has given us instructions God has given us this plan of salvation to redeem us, to restore us back to him that we don't deserve. And yet still, over and over again, we push back. Man, this is the story of my life growing up. Man, God, I was in a place, man, where, where people were just kind of, they had an opportunity to pour into me and I was just pushing it away. I was involved in church for most of my life. My parents were in ministry, and so I, I've kind of jumped around church stuff. And, and, man, there's just over and over again, I would just push people away because I wanted to do things the way I wanted to do them. And I don't think I've ever related to anybody more in the Bible than the Israelites who, even though God pursued their hearts over and over again and made a way of salvation by means of covenant to restore him, to restore us to him, Yet still, over and over again, I pushed it away. And it wasn't until I was 17 years old at a camp that I felt God just tugging on my heart. And in that moment, I gave my life to the Lord, and my life has been different ever since. There, there's been this, right? It's not, just, it's not just, hey, once you get saved, man, you're, you're just locked in, but man, it's this. And that's okay. Because the person that we rest on is the person that every one of these covenants are pointing towards. I mean, check this out. So we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of every one of these covenants. Adam, in 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 the covenant of Adam, Adam was expected, part of the covenant was perfect obedience. Don't eat from that tree. Well, Adam didn't fulfill that, but perfect obedience happened with Jesus Christ by living a sinless life on the earth. You see the covenant of Noah where, hey, there's going to be mercy for sinful humanity. Even though they don't deserve it, there's going to be mercy from here on out. I'm going to establish this covenant with you, Noah. And all of us, every one of us, are a part of sinful humanity. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Even though we actively resist God's pursuance of our heart, God still sent his son to die for us. So we see that covenant of Noah fulfilled in what Christ has done. Then you see the the covenant of David, which says, man, your offspring, your kingdom, your throne is going to reign forever. Well, Jesus comes through the line of David. You see that in Matthew chapter 1. And right now, currently, because God sent him on the earth to die on the cross, to be buried, rose again, and is now ascended, sitting at the right hand of the Father. So the fulfillment of that covenant of David is that Jesus Christ right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Man, listen, if you don't hear anything, hear this. The entire story of the Bible is that God loves us so much that all throughout human history, despite our rebellion against him, he continues to pursue our hearts. And that's crazy because I think every one of us would have given up on us, right? Here's what's gonna happen, the the band's gonna come up. I just, I wanna wanna tell you something, man. This this place, this church, these people that are around you, man, these are blessings from the Lord as he is trying to pursue your heart. There, There are people in this room that you're gonna go in a small group with in just a little bit. And those people, those leaders, those adults, literally are giving up their time to come and spend time with us, and I think that they are provisions by God for God to pursue our hearts. And so if you're in a place in your own life where you're just kind of a natural rebel, and you just wanna kinda push people away because you can do this yourself, I promise you, number one, it's not gonna work. Number two, it's not worth the effort, especially when God has given us so many opportunities to be restored to him. And listen, if you're in this room and you have no idea about what I'm talking about, this is the first time you've heard this whole thing and maybe maybe you kind of wrestle yourself, man, is, is God really a part of my own life? Do I really buy into the fact that God has offered a way for me to be restored to him? And if that's you, if you've never experienced salvation, then I would love to talk with you right after this I'm gonna go stand kind of in that area. And if you want to talk to me about that, I would love the chance to talk to you about that. If all of this was kind of confusing and a lot to take in, and you want my notes from tonight, come back there, I can get them to you. If you just want to be prayed for, I would love a chance to pray for you. I know Morgan's in the same, but we got leaders in the back. If you're just if you're going through some stuff, man, just lean into the people and the blessings that God has given to you. Because I can tell you from personal experience that the people around me that have been willing to pour into me and pray for me have been some of the most incredible people and biggest blessings in my entire life. Would you stand with me while we pray real quick? God, you you are so gracious and so kind. God, that you would even consider continuously reaching out to us in order to restore us to you is mind-blowing. Father, you, in your loving kindness, sending your son to die on the cross for me in my sin, in my trespasses, when I was an enemy of you, does not make any sense, but God, that is why we worship you. God, as we look through the history of mankind we see the relationship that you have with man, God, we recognize that whether it's today, whether it's the New Testament time, whether it's the Old Testament, God, that ultimately you are the same exact God from beginning to end. And you have set us up with ways to be restored to you even though we are broken in sin. God, I pray that you would help us to lean into the many blessings and the people that you have given and provided for us in our lives. May this time be a time where we would glorify you. We would not be distracted. We wouldn't immediately start talking. We wouldn't pull out our phones. We wouldn't be distracting to others. But in this moment, we would stay in a spirit of prayer and just beg you to come and invade our lives. God, have your way tonight. We're thankful, Father. That you are who you are and have been that way since the beginning. We love you. In Jesus' name.